Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 68. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, today we also have a very special guest on the podcast, and his name is Alex Thomas. Now, Alex is the president of Sports Nutrition Australia. He's a good friend, and we are so excited to have him on the show today. So thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, it's uh, great to finally have you on. And I guess we'll dive right in and just uh, get to know you a little bit more because we're eager to know a bit more about you and I guess how Sports Nutrition Australia sort of started and how the gears started turning. So where did everything begin for you? Yeah, so we were talking about this before and it came up, you tried to sort of like Google a biography on me and I don't have it. So this is going to be sort of my ad libitum version of that. But um, basically, I my story is I was a personal trainer um, was you know doing some university and tertiary studies i was a personal trainer from the time i was about 18 19 mm-hmm. um and worked previously as like a nighttime manager for a gym so i've been in the fitness industry for now 12 years um and i sort of mucked around and did that uh didn't want to complete any uni because everything was clinically focused and that didn't align with me i was like i'm just gonna then be a glorified personal trainer <laughs> yeah. when i come out with a huge hex debt which is real funny because that was like 30 grand for a whole degree back then and now they're like 100. Um, yeah. <coughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish my hex debt was only 30. I, I, I know, I was such a cheapskate back then, right? And so I um, decided I would go out on my own and eventually like set up a training and allied health center and I was going to have the best trainers and the best systems and sports scientists and ex-physers and physios and manual therapists working there, dietitians working there as well. And so I... Um, went out and did that so I set up uh, the center it was called Enhance HQ and I at this point it now uh, became apparent to me that my neck was on the chopping block for anything that happened in that center and so I um, was very aware of the fact that uh, everyone was talking about nutrition not just the dietitians exclusively even though we had that triage process Mm -hmm. in place and there were liabilities and limitations to that stuff and there was a big gray area and so i became um more interested in it as it it affected my own personal interests right and so i um started looking into it found out hey they weren't covered subsequently i wasn't covered so it was a very uh it was inspired from a defensive place mm. to then be able to look after myself. So it was like... Do you want to go into a bit more depth about what do you mean by covered? So for the people who worked there. Oh, okay, cool. So like trainers, sports scientists, ex physicians anyone that really wasn't like a dietitian, um, all you can talk about is the national guides. And yeah. they're good, but everyone and like everyone likes to poo-poo them and like be like, oh, it's, it's average and you can't do this and you can't get results and, you know, they need to be stricter. But the reality is they're good and Mm. the majority of people would achieve really good results if they did that. It it doesn't address energy balance and Mm -hmm. the dynamics of energy balance Mm. or anything like that, Um, you know, and as lifestyle needs change, obviously, so too do nutritional needs, but um, they're a really good starting point. So obviously, you know, everyone likes to think if they've like prepped or something before or if they've, um, you know, had a bit of experience with weight loss through their food, that they know the best approach for people and yeah. it's comes from good intentions but um you know like we like to relay that information on and so that would be like you know you should eat only this food or you should you know this is what you should have for breakfast and stuff and it starts becoming specific and that's really where they're no longer sticking to the guides mm. and they start encroaching on that space which is out of scope or it'd be at the point where it was like here's this macro plan or here's this meal plan and stuff and there, there, there was no cover for that, you know, for those people. Mm-hmm. So, he, like, we were sort of indemnified by having the dietitian, but at the same time, like, if anything ever happened, you know, I didn't want that. And what I learned as soon as it was like, hey, I'm the director of this company and, you know, we're doing this stuff was that my liability period was like six or seven years. So, like, something that happened in, let's just say, hypothetically, 2014, I would still be liable for now. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, it can, and you've got to maintain your insurance. That's a big one. Like a lot of people, especially they might be listening with coronavirus and stuff going on now. And they're like, I'm just going to suspend my covers and all this. Like, don't, you need to maintain it. There's no way of suspending it. And you need to keep it for the next like six, seven years from that point. Um, So yeah, like I learned a couple of sort of harsh realities that I wasn't aware of. And a lot of people in the industry, like presently probably still aren't aware of. Um, And it's sort of my mission to sort of just make people aware. But um, yeah, I found out obviously personal trainers, 
didn't have that level of cover or, or anything like that. And nothing really existed to be able to help them provide advice beyond the guides in a useful capacity, but that didn't encroach on what dietetics was, you know, and, and, and really step on the toes of dietetics and dietitians um, and, and really, or even get into the clinical health side of things, which is, you know, what you guys are aware of is like what they're trained on in, in such a, uh, in, in such a major capacity. So, uh, basically I, I then went to the insurers and said, Hey, how do we get something in place? Because these whole like restrictions never work. Um, you know, if we say you can't do this, people go and do it. It's like, um, you know, alcohol prohibition back in the early, the early 20th century yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Like people don't follow that stuff. It's like, okay, how can we safely enable this? So that way I'm better protected. They're better protected. They're be we're better educated on this stuff. Um, and so we went through the uh, education and prevention sort of route. And so they were like, well, we need to have a clear separation between dietetics. I was doing some work with um, the ISSN at the time. And we sort of, there were some colleagues of mine who were doing their PhDs and just completing their PhDs and stuff in dietetics who um, I reached out to when we created like a health risk assessment associated with the clinical side of dietetics versus what would just be like healthy gen pop sort of mm -hmm. advice and just merge the two sort of worlds together. So we had like our sports nutrition and body comp nutrition. And like you guys know this, like we spoke about this a while ago where it was like, even though you go through uni, it's really hard to get access to like metabolism, body comp, sports mm. performance stuff in the nutrition side of things. Like yeah, it's, it's, definitely. He it, it's heavily clinically focused. So, uh, you know, not a lot of change from when I was studying. Um, and so we wanted to be able to provide that education in a real um, simple and digestible manner for people to understand the principles, the tools, the application and the critical thinking around that whilst not going overboard in detail or even touching on anything clinical and, you know, like clinical is just a whole world onto its own mm -hmm. um, from there. So we had this sort of, we had this screening system, we had the uh, information from the ISSN, which is the online journal and, you know, they have huge publications in sports nutrition and position statements and all that stuff. So we were able to bring them together and create a program that, um, you know, was insurable as sports nutritionists and stuff. And it really, it, yeah, it was, it started as purely a defensive thing to like cover myself. And then I had a couple of colleagues who were like, yeah, we do this as well. So we want to be covered. So they came through the first intake and it was just me sitting in front of like a whiteboard being like, this is the stuff you need to study to pass these exams. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here's how you assess someone. And at this point, was this exam the ISSN exam? Yeah, yeah. it was. There, so there's two, there's two exams and it was like, this is what you need to do for the entry level one. You don't need to do the higher one, but if you want to, hey, this is how I prep for the higher one as well. Um, and these exams, like they're good. Uh, they're used to like cull people from um, university programs. They're like mm -hmm. a like an entry sort of test yeah. that they use in the States and in the UK for. Um, so that was pretty much it. Um, we didn't have case studies. We didn't have any application side of things. It was just like, hey, you know, this is sort of, this is what we've come up with. Do you like it? And they were like, yeah, cool. And it then started getting word of mouth. Um, from their like referral and stuff. So like three to five months later, people were like, all right, well, we want to do this. When are you running the next one and stuff? And I was like, I wasn't planning on it, but okay, we'll look at it. Um, and then it just sort of started self-perpetuating from there. And it was just a real passion project at this point. It was really fun because I was like, I was that kid who, you know, read every single stuff in the magazine to try and get like my information because like that's where we went, right? It was like yeah. muscle mag or muscular development. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, this is what Ronnie Coleman's eating. This is what I need to eat. And <laughs> Then it like didn't work. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and so that, then that's how I sort of stumbled into the ISSN stuff. I'm like, oh, wow, this science like does not sound anywhere near as good as what's being said in these magazines, but I've tried everything in these magazines. And then, so I may as well try this. And this stuff actually worked. It was just like slower and boring yeah. and less sexy. <laughs> Wasn't training biceps three times a week <laughs> with stuff. So yeah, like I, I was passionate about it. I wanted to you know, help people learn quicker, I guess the evidence-based ways that it were actually going to help them achieve their results rather than like have these like fleeting moments of like ecstatic enthusiasm mm -hmm. that then get dampened four to six weeks later when nothing's happened and you're following it to the T and you know you are. So when you mean, when, when you say insurance, what, like, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you're just teaching people, you know, you're giving them education on nutrition or do they actually have insurance? So 
in case, you know, if they do something wrong and someone tries to sue them, you know, for giving them an incorrect meal plan that had a food they were allergic to, you know, and then they had mm. anaphylaxis or something. What do you mean by insurance? Yes, yeah, so it's it's like insurance to actually cover them for that okay. professional service. Yeah. yeah, for the service of sports nutrition. So, uh, like, sports nutrition is a field that's really only 16 years old at the moment, mm-hmm. it's coming onto its 17th year formally. Um, so, but it's it's a field where everyone's like really interested, especially in the fitness industry. And so, um, you know, what we did, you know, I guess as time went on, we had more people going through the program. Uh, the insurers came back to me and were like, you have to start regulating this because we're covering all these people. Um, but, you know, you're going to have to ensure that they're actually doing things the right way as well. Yeah. So that's where the regulatory body then came into it. And so yeah. we, you know, went through like trademarking, Sports Nutrition Australia, establishing the nonprofit body. Um, and like setting up as a proper accreditation and regulatory body mm-hmm. where we have like, uh, you know, a, a, like insurance policies for that profession. Um, and we, it's our responsibility to ensure that people are actually registered and meeting our criteria and practicing the way that we need them to practice in order to be valid, like, you know, to maintain that insurance. Yeah. And be mm-hmm. eligible for it. Wow, like all I can think of is how that must have been such a crazy time, like stress-wise, time-wise. It, it was a lot of, it, honestly, like that time wasn't, I, I was working pretty hard, um, but not as much as I sort of did about 24 to 18 months ago. I sort of mm. went on like a crazy um, work workload um, period and it sort of only slowed down about five, six months ago. But um, it honestly, like I just, I, I sort of fell into it. Like they... It, it would just come up and it's like, this is the next step. Mm. And then yeah. this is the next step. And then this is the next step. And like, I sat down with um, uh, Nat, who's my um, business development manager the other day. And we were just going through things so she could understand things a little bit better in the country and then internationally, because now we're in like New Zealand and Asia and looking doing stuff in America as well. And um, she was like, oh, so you like, you did this all by design. And I wish it was all by design. And I could say <laughs> I, I, I did, but it was more just like, I fell into it, yeah. you know, um, things just happened to work out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Natural progression. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. It was like, Hey, the fitness industry has got, I mean, now with Corona, a lot of people have been displaced, but you know, three, four months ago, there was 120,000 members um, yeah. of exercise professionals in the fitness industry. And there was like 15,000 dietitians. So our stuff was like, wow, we have to get like 20 to 30% of that fitness industry aware um, you know, working with us, registering with us at some point, and then cohesively working with the dietitians to like bridge that gap, mm-hmm. um, using it as a triage process and formalizing that. And not only do we want to do that in Australia, but then, you know, the other countries as well. So like New Zealand has about 6,000 exercise professionals and about 500 registered dietitians. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. you know, like ways that we can sort of, um, penetrate the fitness side of things, upskill people, make them more aware, and then have the two industries working more cohesively. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's so awesome that you flagged that early, like at your headquarters, before anything even went wrong, you identified that, oh man, you know, if one of my ex-fizzes gets, gives the wrong diet advice, mm. you know, we could be in a lot of trouble. So that's awesome that you actually flagged that before it was actually an issue. And which, which year did you actually start this? Uh, it's six and a half years now. Six and a half years ago. So, and then how has it actually progressed in terms of the courses since then? So, yeah, like I said, when I started, I was just talking about it in front of a whiteboard with a whiteboard marker and hoping people could understand my writing. (laughs) Um, and if anyone's like ever lectured and presented, you know, the, I guess the, (laughs) the, uh, test that is, but, um, it was that. And then we then created like a course pamphlet and started our like initial case study. So there was maybe like two case studies in it. Um, and then there was like this 120 page sort of like, um, text pamphlet that we provided, um, and then gave them access to like the research papers and whatnot. Um, and then it then evolved with more case studies and more content and probably about three, three and a half years ago. Now it, then we went, we took everything online. So we're doing like face to face delivery, running workshops and all that stuff. And um, attendance was a limiting factor. We had people from all around Australia starting to want to do it as well. So I was doing like Zoom and Google Hangouts and stuff to like tutor them through it. Um, I'd, so I'd do a web one and then I'd do an in-person one. And again, attendance would be an issue. And so I would say that we probably had about a 60% attendance rate um, at any given time. So like people were missing things. And then so what we did is just like a natural progression was record everything, make it all video based have all the lecture slides like downloadable 
um, adapt the content that was now, I think it grew to like, I don't know, a 400 and 500 page document or something mm-hmm. like that, plus more papers, adapt that into the slides, have it as a video presentation, have it so they don't miss out, have it so that they can pause, rewind, rewatch as much as they want while they're in the program um, and digest it at their own rate. And it was funny because um, when I would teach it, in person or like, you know, via like Google or something like that, I'd be like, if you don't understand something, just quickly Google it and then try and apply it again. And people would be like, oh, you know, like I don't want to be told to Google something. And (laughs) it's like, it's like, you should be able to tell me stuff. And I was like, this is just me recommending it based on a way that I learn effectively. And that's something that I include in the lectures now. And it's sort of like fast forward, you know, like another three, four years. And that's the method that people are employing because you're able to utilize it really, really quickly. Mm. Um, You know, so that's something that I encourage is like, you know, pause it, Google it, go back, apply it straight away. You wouldn't have that opportunity with me when I was presenting. Mm-hmm. It would just be like, hey, we have to stick to this schedule. I'm doing this. We've got a little bit of time for questions, but yeah. then trying to apply it then makes it a bit harder. So yeah. Google isn't cheating. Google is your friend. <laughs> I know, right? Google was one of my best friends in uni. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a tool, right? So especially where, if you know where to look and Google Scholar, especially. Yeah, yeah definitely. So I mean, it's just a way that we can apply. And typically, people in the fitness industry are extremely visually dominant um, and kinesthetic learners. So mm. if we can do it through repetition quickly, then it's effective. So what we found was that as soon as it went online, you know, like the like the completion, everything just increased exponentially well. Yeah. Um, it, like we didn't see a drop or anything like that. So we had it online. Uh, and then every year we update our content. So every two years is a huge update. And so the whole curriculum gets overhauled. And then every year in between, we just do some little like patch fixes, mm-hmm. update some positions on stuff. Um, you know, it's because like the landscape of the literature is always ever evolving. Yeah, and so if someone's done the program, say four years ago, they have to pay to register with us and then, then they get eligible for their insurance. Nowadays, it's just bundled with the insurer anyway. Um, and the insurer just checks that they're doing like the um, CPD, the continual professional development that we provide. Mm-hmm. But that CPD for us is just giving them access to the most update, course, up-to-date course content that we have at that time. Let them refresh it. And then we have a couple of quizzes that we know are really recent. So that way we get them to do these like two to three quizzes each year. So that way they're updating and answering the stuff that, that wasn't previously mm-hmm. there when they were going through. And it just keeps them, keeps their finger on the pulse as practitioners as well. Um, that was sort of like a pet peeve of mine. Hey, like it was like when I was thinking about, okay, we have to be a regulatory body and it's like, you've got to go do your CECs and pay for some random course, you know, that may not really serve you as like as a professional may, I mean, it might, um, you know, or you got to do your CPD stuff, but it's external again. And Mm. it's like, well, the information in the literature is always evolving. Like it's our responsibility as the body to, I guess, set what that minimum standard is. Like we will encourage you go to, do further study but we will set what that minimum is so that was sort of a thing that i like was able to hang my hat on um and, you know and feel proud about uh you know that we're actually providing that and giving that back to the members as well whereas because yeah. that that's uh, arguably like almost as important as the the whole thing itself mm. because like even us like we graduated a year ago and already evidence has changed and it's up to us to stay on top of everything so yeah exactly and like um, like the fortunate thing for us is is like you know, we've got like a network of colleagues who are some of the, you know, top most current researchers in the world who are seeing this stuff as well. And so they're contributing lectures, you know, to the program as well. And our, the, our ability to disseminate information being all online and um, plugged into the contacts that we have enables us to like provide that information so quickly as opposed to like if we go if we look at universities and this is not to say that universities like bad or anything like that i you know like i'm doing stuff so like i'm still studying and doing postgrad and stuff so like for me um i don't want to sort of bad mouth it at all i think it's awesome and i think it's something that everyone should do but um understanding the nature of how much harder it is for them to implement those changes as yeah. well so like you'll graduate but that information may have been applied to the program three years prior to your graduation as mm. well. So there might be like a four year gap. And you know, like what, like what we've discussed privately that you, you, you've both told me is that you had to do so much of your own private research. Mm. Oh, it's huge. And that's the thing. We're always getting questions on the podcast. Like, how can I learn what you guys know? You know, mm. how, how can I gain your knowledge? And I guess what I really wanted to touch on here is that for someone who is very interested in nutrition, but they don't want to go through a 
three-year undergraduate nutrition exercise science degree. They don't want to do a one and a half year master's degree. They don't want like a 60 plus thousand dollar hex debt. (laughs) So would you say that if someone's interested in sports nutrition, this would be their second best option here in in Australia and other countries? Yeah, yeah. I would say like my bias is it's your best if you're in a, if 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 your context is that you want to try before you buy. Mm-hmm. it's probably the best option to work out if this is a career that you want to be in. Um, it's not your best option if you want to learn the most that you want yeah. to learn. If you know that this is your career, then I'd be like, go into uni, get in yeah. those programs straight away, mm-hmm. pick this up first, second year, third third year, you know, before you get into like the heavy prac stuff, mm-hmm. um, I would say pick this up, do it in like holidays or something like that or do it in a semester that doesn't have a huge amount of study requirements so that way you can get it done and establish yourself in that business beforehand before you get to like hospital practice and stuff. Yeah. yeah, like, and then that way when you come out, you've got a client list, you've got a business that's ready to go. And now it's like, right, I'm a dietitian. Mm-hmm. Do my clients want me to have a, pro- a provider number? Um, you know, and do I want to set up clinically or what do I want to do? But you've basically got that head start. Um, mm-hmm. that, 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 that would be my suggestion. But yeah, like the cool thing about us is, is that the cert for us and part of our practicing standards is that it's the entry level qualification, but we do require that after three years, members enroll in further study. So whether that be a graduate diploma for about you know five and a half thousand dollars that they can mm-hmm. do online at their own pace through an institute that we partner with, it's not us, but we obviously provide the introductions and stuff. Yeah. Um, or they go into a university program in Australia, mm-hmm. and that's, that's just relevant. Um, yeah. So that way they're getting you know uh, an undergrad. Well, I love that you make it mandatory that people need to commit to this, you know, and mm. that you encourage them to keep learning. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is after three years, you will know if you're still going to be doing this as a career. Yeah. So that's the point where it's like, right, don't you don't have to go and do like weekend boxing courses. You don't have to go and do, um, you know, like these like $2,000 two weekend courses just to maintain your qualification. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay registration. We'll handle the minimum stuff. But then after three years, that two grand that you'd spend every year, you can now put that toward the grad dip or mm-hmm. you can go into a uni program and stuff. And I think it's just important that people never settle anyway and continue to learn. Like there's certain things that you can't learn from experience and from just understanding principles, critical thinking and application. Like you have to trawl through the research. Mm-hmm. You have to do like research methods and stats, stat analysis, you know, and you have to do it for six months. You have to do... Uh, placement in specific contexts for six to 12 months you have to understand really really detailed biochemistry um and it like it to me as well like when i was going through uni i was like it made no sense i was like why are we looking at all this detailed like basic science first Mm -hmm. like my brain was sort of different it was like i want to learn the cool shit and then learn the detailed stuff as to how i can apply it from there whereas like and that's probably why i didn't stick stick it out was because all the fun stuff or what I thought would be fun stuff was like fourth year. Mm. I remember in the same way, yeah. Yeah. And I I think about that too, you know, and I only even think like now, I'm like, man, first year biology or first year biochemistry or whatever, like (laughs) literally like knowing like those baseline things, Mm. you know, and knowing like the real nitty gritty, it really helps you understand when someone someone asks you a question, you know, about insulin resistance, like you actually understand it on that biochemical level. it's not just surface level. So I really appreciate that now, even though it's four years later. It's crazy. Hey, I, um, I'm the same. And I, now, now that I'm going through my own further study, I'm like, all right, like I really want to understand my biochem yeah. and my physiology yeah. on a, you know, like on a molecular level. Yeah. Like I had no interest about like in that when yeah. I was going through earlier and I just wrote, learn things as well. It was like, all right, these are the enzymatic steps in this process and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look to like learn it to actually own it and apply it in multiple contexts. Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, I think it's just important for people to understand, you know, that I guess all this stuff has its place, but if, if you're like me and you want to understand, I guess the nuts and bolts of the fun stuff first, that'd be a good way of going through it. And then that stuff will help. But if you know that you want to be doing this, just like jump in the uni stuff straight yeah. away but so let's say that there's a personal trainer out there who wants to become a comp prep coach right mm. and uh you know they're interested in learning more about nutrition they're interested in you know sports nutrition australia like how do they get involved how do they sign up how much would it cost what are the like steps that they would have to take so we like our certificate program runs from about three thousand two hundred fifty dollars australian 
to like upfront and then the payment plans are just over four thousand dollars depending on how long they go for so the, like the longest one is obviously the one that's just over four thousand and then the shorter ones are mm-hmm. cheaper in that descending order and basically they can contact us um they can go to our website sportsnutrition.org.au and that basically will facilitate that whole process anyway yeah. um and then our next we run four intakes a year within australia so our next one's on the 4th of may then we've got july then we've got september we might do a christmas one as well because we've got a lot of like interest when people obviously had the christmas and new year period yeah. which is a lot quieter for them mm. that we wouldn't normally do so we're looking at that for the end of the year as well um look if you want to get into prep coaching we run this prep program um, which is additional and you guys are now going to be involved in it which is really cool so cool (laughs) yeah i guess this is the next segue i guess into something that tia and i are very excited to be a part of now and um thanks to alex and it is basically the prep program accompanied with sports nutrition australia and we'll let alex start off by talking a little bit more about it yeah, so um, like sports nutrition's evolved in the last 16 years, prep sort of evolved a lot in the last five. Yeah. <laughs> and so when we present, I've got this slide that's, uh, I don't know if anyone listening remembers the um, the rice cakes and fish guy yeah. <laughs> repping. <laughs> and I was like, this is what bodybuilding used to be like, and yeah. it doesn't have to be like this. And so, you know. If anyone but, hasn't seen that, go on YouTube and um, search that up. Yeah, it is, it is classic. Um, and then, you know, like bodybuilding also used to be, it was like, okay, you'd lift heavy in the off season and you'd bulk up and then yep. you'd do higher reps and lighter weight as you were prepping and do some cardio. And that Cut was like, and- yeah, yeah. And that was like, and you just listened to the guy at the gym who was in shape and yep. he told you to do that and that's what you did. And it was just like, that's, I guess, where we um, coined the term bro science. Um, and, you know, like it has its goods and uh, good and bad sides, just like anything else. But um, yeah, we... Myself and a few colleagues, so Joey Cantlin, Brandon Kempter, and um, Kyle Weber, those guys like love prep. I just, I like sort of helping people. And mm-hmm. if I can see something that doesn't make sense and I can make sense of it really well mm-hmm. and it just fits, then I'll help facilitate it because it makes sense. It's like, to me, it's like a black and white thing. It's like, oh, that makes sense. We need to be doing this. So yeah. those guys, um, they, they're like phenomenally passionate bodybuilding coaches and have been for the last you know what like five six years yeah they're they're pretty incredible yeah and um super passionate like you are right Mm. and bodybuilding is definitely not a passion of mine (laughs) i am super interested in metabolism so like anything with energy availability and um you know adaptive metabolism i love Mm. and obviously that crosses over into bodybuilding yeah um a fair bit but I don't like. I don't wake up and be like, "When am I gonna put my trunks on?" And <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to get those clients in their stage heels and tans going. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> that's my first thought of the day. <laughs> <laughs> that's um. When am I gonna put my trunks on? <laughs> exactly right. That's sort of not me. Um, but I like. I love being able to sort of fill a gap and help. And so the um. It, like I, I spoke to the guys and there was all this stuff popping up and we were getting more and more claims. Um, uh, one of the stats that I presented at last year's conference was that the claims in the industry um, alone have increased by about 1,200% in the last three years. So we went from having like 10 claims a month to like 120 claims a month with a big wow. portion of that like swapping, like moving into the nutrition side of things mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, clients are becoming more aware. We have the no win, no fee lawyers. And so mm-hmm. we'll have like ambulance chases sort of getting on board with that stuff as well. And, and mm-hmm. if, if they're aware that there's insurance gaps in the market and the industry, they're going to exploit that as well, which isn't great. And we don't hear a lot of this stuff because they settle as like non-disclosure cases. So the insurers will be like, just give them $40,000, $50,000 and stuff. So they're like, yeah, we'll do that. The insurers don't have to pay out a big portion of that. And the, you know, the, the professional does. So it's like, if you work and try and buy a property and set your family up and stuff, yeah, you're going to be pulling back a new mortgage or something like that just because of like a little mistake that you weren't aware of. And so we, um, you know, there's sort of that side. And then there was these claims of like refeeding syndrome and stuff because we hear about these like yeah. crazy peaking strategies and like, you know, it's insane. And to think that, you know, refeeding syndrome is something that we learned about in clinical dietetics, you yeah, know, with which uh, eating disorder yeah, patients, eating yeah. disorder patients. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very serious, you know, and yeah. it only happens when, you know, someone is pretty much starved and their electrolytes are all out of whack. And mm. the fact that this could be happening to an athlete under what should, they should be, you know, monitoring guided, like it's really scary. It's crazy. Hey, and we've it, had, it's we've, almost done on purpose. Yeah. And like, then we had like, um, like reds and then we were getting people who like and you know like the systems are affected and i guess for the listeners it's like we'll have uh things like hormone functions we'll have like gastrointestinal disturbances um and then 
it, like it, one of the systems is the psychological system. So like mm. there's huge body image disorders, there's huge eating disorders and stuff. And so we were seeing it with female competitors a lot more because mm. obviously, you know, if they lose their menstrual cycle, it's like a typical red flag that we yeah. wouldn't get with guys. Guys aren't, you know, don't menstruate. So it's like, how do you feel? How's your libido? Oh, it's like, okay. And unless we're getting blood tests to, you know, measure that, we can't confirm whether or not anything's actually like super, um, you know, like, like, like a red flag's being sort of raised or anything like that. So, um, you know, we're having these girls with like displaying these symptoms, but then at the same time, because of how severely starved they were, like the, the, the brain wasn't mm-hmm. computing this as like bad. They were yeah. being harder on themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was like, no, I need to train two and a half hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. I need to eat 800 calories. And mm-hmm. some people were doing that. You know, you hear of these stories and it's like, yeah, they were. They were like severely disordered and they looked great. Mm-hmm. Their bodies were in shape, mm-hmm. but it was at the cost of all these other physiological functions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's made out to them that that's the norm and that's what it takes, like that's such a common saying, just do what it takes and... They will, they will do it. Yeah, but at the same time, there's a line. And I think that's where, you know, there's a bit of an issue on social media, especially some girls who have gone through this, you know, and mm. they, they kind of make it as if, like, if you want to do a prep, know what you're signing up for, you know. You'll have to be on the Stairmaster for a minimum two hours per day, you know. You're not allowed <laughs> to eat crazy. over a thousand calories. Like, this is what you should expect. Like, I, I really don't think that should be the norm, you know. Like, yeah. That, and that's or like, why he who suffers the hardest yes. yeah, does the best. <laughs> No, not at all, right? And um, and that's why there's this huge call for evidence-based practice. Yeah, and so like myself and some dietitian colleagues um, invested in uh, metabolic testing, the portable MedGem device, because the unis, not like again, not not on the unis, but they weren't like following best practice for their like um, clinic when they were collecting data. So they Mm -hmm. were like, if people were eating. They would do it. They had like a 10-hour window that people could come in for assessments yeah. at the time. It's improved now. But we were like, we need some good tests. This device was like $15,000 plus, um, you know, the mouthpieces, which were maybe like 10. And so we were like, mm. all right, 150 bucks in assessment, 200 bucks in assessment. And we can actually start testing people under our control. So it yeah. was fast, first thing in the morning. We made them sit still. We had a metronome for their rate of respiration. So all, like all the best practice stuff was followed. And so we're seeing these people come in with low energy availability, like mm-hmm. severe low, low EA and then we're hearing about these claims with refeeding syndrome and hospitalizations and it's like so and so water loaded and um, you know had this female you know on six liters of water a day and this male on nine liters of water a day and then they pulled the water and it was 500 mils and they loaded all this so salt and then they put like a bit of potassium right before showtime and all this stuff and there's these like hospitalizations and stuff and it's like the thing with refeeding syndrome is is like where the pattern was noticed first was in these like um, eating disorder clinics mm-hmm. yeah. because as soon as people weren't eating you know for extended periods of time yeah. and their body was extremely malnourished they would then put them on an IV yeah mm-hmm. and you try to refeed them and the body almost has like such a huge influx of nutrients mm. it freaks out and it doesn't really know what to do exactly and so you know we would think okay well like bodybuilders and physique athletes are like athletes so they'll be fine and it's like well if you've like again depend like it's all contextual but if we can critically apply some of the principles mm-hmm. We can go, right, well, if they've aggressively lost a lot of weight and they've done so in a really low energy available state over a prolonged period of time, mm-hmm. and then we start manip- manipulating yeah. electrolytes, fluid, and calorie intake mm-hmm. in aggressive ways. So, like, aggressive to me would be, like, beyond, say, 250% of what pr- was previously being done, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, more than 250% of, like, water fluctuations. Yeah more than 250% of like electrolyte manipulations. Yeah. And you know, like what they're doing is like one gram of salt, nine liters of water, 500 mils of water, six grams of salt. Yeah. Like that's huge. Yeah. You know, this is like close to the thousands. Mm-hmm. That's when we can start to see this stuff. Yeah, like you're healthier than someone with um, bulimia or anorexia who's been had that, you know, problem for the last like two, three years and is now hospitalized. But your body is no less susceptible to those huge mm-hmm. fluctuations. Yeah. And so, you know, then we throw in like carbohydrate manipulation with that and stuff as well. And yeah. then there, yeah. there's other supplements and potentially other drugs and stuff. Um, and that's know. the thing, you know, people preach, they're like, my coach gave me this super detailed peak week plan. And you no. look at it and you're like, oh my God, you're going to die. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and it's so scary. And it's like um, Brandon presents on the peak week, uh, you know, like when we did our national tour last, last year about... Um, you know, like what an evidence-based prep looks like and what a healthy prep should look like, um, you know, and his whole thing is it's like, you know, like we're trying to 
trying to get like the last one percent yeah like don't screw it up mm-hmm. you need to understand these scientific principles we're going to give you some education in it but really it's like hey we're going to Basically, we're going to bump carbs up a bit. We're going to increase water. We're not going to cut water. We might increase salt a bit. Yeah. It's just like, it's minimal stuff. And like, mm-hmm. again, it's category specific. Like, exactly. if you're like, if you're a fitness guy and, or a bikini girl, depending on the federation that you're in, do you really need to peak or could you just be diet breaking yeah. because you've done the work beforehand? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like you should, you should already look ready, you know, yeah. you should already be ready for your show a week out from your show. Again, peak week, it's only going to increase, you know, your physical appearance one to 5%. And it is only applicable for bodybuilders or very lean fitness competitors mm. or, you know, men's physique. But yeah, definitely not bikini competitors. They don't need to be freaking... <laughs> no, like the whole concept oh, of gosh. those of those categories, right, was to, uh, you know, like like you need to dem- like display the look where if you just mm-hmm. came off the beach in board shorts or a yeah. bikini, right? Mm-hmm. And like obviously it's become a little bit leaner and stuff and some federations have it looking like a dieting competition, which is pretty crazy. But, you know, like... Um, as long as you know what you're getting into and like even if it looks like they're super lean it should Mm. still be comfortably achievable Um, bodybuilding is probably you know bodybuilding's Mm. figure fitness depending you know they will like fitness for female they will require a more um, dedicated approach to the prep but that's Mm. one of the coolest things about bodybuilding especially you know the principles that Brandon Kempter applies in a very evidence-based manner is that when you understand the physiology and you do take care of your athlete you are able to, you know, manipulate a physique to look so freaking cool in that very, very acute time period. Mm. If you do slightly manipulate these little things, you know, a little bit of carbohydrates, a little bit more water, you know, a salt shot before you start pumping up, but Mm. it's pretty damn cool, but it certainly doesn't risk your health. It doesn't risk your life. No. And like, there's a line. The cool thing with Brandon as well is he's had a lot of his clients now with him for multiple seasons and off seasons. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like if people sort of hear this and like, oh, he'll be able to do that for me. Yeah, he can do that for you from like year three, four <laughs> yeah. onwards. Like yeah. I think a lot of people who compete, they want to try and like taste all the flavors of coaches and stuff yeah. out there. And um, Eric Helms wrote a really good post probably about a year ago about like where a coach's value is. And I, one thing that I think is really important, we talk about this in the prep program is that it's going to take like two, three, four years to understand exactly what your client is. You know, so like the value of a coach doesn't come in until you've understood where they sit on the bell curve with all this stuff. So like with these variables, like carbohydrate sensitivity and utilization, protein dosing, uh, you know, exercise capacity, their ability, like their resilience in deficit periods, Mm -hmm. their spillover points with surplus um, calories, how long they can be in maintenance for, how long they can train for, how much volume they can handle. There's all like, there's so much of this stuff and we need to identify one of these variables at one point in time and measure that specifically and be like, where do you sit on the bell curve? Where are you an outlier? Because no one client is gonna be like in in the mean every Mm -hmm. single time. Mm -hmm. I know for me personally, I I can train for about eight weeks without requiring a deload. So that gives me, you know, an additional sort of like four week block of pr- progress before I actually then need to like prioritize recovery for my body, yeah. regardless of my fed state. Mm-hmm. So like, that's where I'm a bit of an ally. I've got a client who I can like take for 15 weeks before deloading. So he mm-hmm. just gets that progress the whole time. I've got clients who after three weeks in a mild to moderate deficit require a diet break <laughs> because they get to a stalling point, they get diet fatigue and all this kind of stuff. And, and the thing is, is like these things are cyclical and change even for that person, depending on their stress state, right? Like what's their work like, all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, one thing that I sort of really want to stress to any of the listeners is like, if you have a coach and you just like, and they're talking about this stuff, then you need to stick with them for the next three to four years because Mm -hmm. they're going to learn your body and then you're going to learn your body even better. And then it's like, then if you want to change, definitely look at it. But what we say to like, what we as all the presenters with this prep program say when we're presenting is like, we don't encourage coach hopping. We don't encourage that stuff. Mm Um, we don't want you to think, oh, like it was my coach's fault. Like if you had a bad prep, that's cool. And it sounds like it's bad. We'll say, hey, that doesn't sound great, but we want you to talk to your coach about this first yeah. and then come back to us. And if, you know, mm-hmm. like depending on how that goes, we can help. But um, a, a conversation that I have, is, I'm like, look, this is a three to four year thing. Like, yeah. you know, like, and they need to be thinking about it like seasonal athletes. But that was pretty much, yeah. I mean, to sort of go full circle back to the initial um, part of the segment, that was... The prep program came out because, yeah, there was these claims that were just coming out and people weren't aware because it was all NDA, so it's like you can't disclose the details. Um, 
you know, and it, it's pretty bad. Like there was some really, really bad stuff happening probably about two years ago and it's starting to improve. But what we did was we were like, look, we've got to create a program that's specific for prep so that people understand what is actually in that. And then we need to create some tighter criteria about who can actually prep people, right? Mm-hmm. So we were like, the certificate's a good entry point. Um, does that mean they can satisfactorily prep people? No. Um, you know, does that, does that mean they would meet a minimum standard for what prep is? No, there's like certain things that are missing. Um, we sort of touched on it before. They, they definitely need like an undergrad level or a postgrad level of, uh, uh, you know, applied biochem and applied exphys mm-hmm. and, and critical thinking on that level, on that tertiary level. So, um, you know, something like having that exercise, exercise and sports science degree or um, at least like the graduate diploma program, that's like a minimum, as well as obviously being registered and practicing in line with the cert. And then, um, then we have this practical program that we do as well. So we're talking about like, if someone is a personal trainer and they want to prep and they don't want to go to uni, we're talking about, you got to do the cert, then you got to go into the grad dip. And then while you're in the grad dip, cause it might take you six months, it might take you 12 or 18 months, 18 months is the longest that it takes. Um, then we got to add the prep program in at some point as well. So we're talking about like three separate programs. And so my whole sales bill and sales pitch when I was like doing these presentations and seminars, um, around the country was like, if you're not prepared to spend two to three years and like minimum $15,000, then don't do it. Yeah. Like it should not be your career yeah. mm-hmm. because you know, like you know that you do not get out of bed to do this stuff. Yeah. Like the same way that I'm like, I don't get out of bed to it. Like I wouldn't do it, but I will definitely help people who want to do it, do so legitimately because you know, we looked at it and like, like I said, like if, if we can fill a gap and help people, that's the stuff that excites me. And for me, I was looking at it and I'm like, well, none of the bodies that exist at the moment, whether it be like a sports science, a fitness or a food related regulatory body, were like wanting to tackle that subject matter. And we have hundreds of competitors competing in multiple shows in the States in multiple seasons, you know, just in, a, in, in their respective cities, which is like thousands and thousands of people nationally every year. And we hear about these horror stories and I would say, you know, the split is improving. We've probably improved it maybe like 10 to 15%, like we're, <laughs> we're blunting the curve. But, um, <laughs> but um, I would like the majority are still negative experiences that people are having with prep. Yeah. Um, you know, and that doesn't even touch on the psychological aspect side of things, you know? Um, I don't, have you guys read Eric's paper that he did on a paradigm shift? Um, that was tagged in the, the material. Yeah, that, yeah, that we've got we in did. there. Yeah. It like, it's crazy, but like the paper basically says, People who like bodybuilding and are attracted to it are like psychotic. Yeah. This is a terrible cliff note, um, but there's a lot of like mental health consideration for this mm-hmm. stuff as well. And so we have a specific part of that where we look at that side of things as well. So like I would say when we started this, my bias observation would have been that 80% of people who were prepping were having a negative experience mm-hmm. and they were like prep, prep, fuck my life competing's horrible, it ruined my body, I'll never do it again. Or they'll maybe do one more show and then they'll adopt that mentality. And that's really unfortunate because it's a really cool sport. Exactly, it's so sad because it is such an amazing sport. And yes, it's tough, just like any other sport, you know? Of course it's tough, but it doesn't have to be excruciating, you Mm. know? And I think it's agreeable if someone dislikes it due to a, a reason that's not, um, non-evidence-based practice like if they don't like it because they don't like how they feel at that body weight or they don't feel healthy or they just um, don't feel comfortable getting up on stage then there's or perfectly fine reason but if it's something due to getting refeeding syndrome like yeah. I don't, give blame, another I don't shot. blame you <laughs> yeah lo- low EA and yeah. then battling yeah. back from that or you know like um, we see that incidence in if they've got low EA then like lower back um, degeneration mm-hmm. then occurs as well like so it's things like that. And that, that's what I agree with as well. So I would say we've seen probably a 10% improvement in the last sort of um, 12 to 18 months, which has been really good to, um, you know, identify in the industry, but like we've still got a long way to go. So yeah, like we, we want, and we want people to understand, like understand the risks first. Yeah. And so like, and understand the time that's required. Like everyone, not everyone, but the majority of people when we started this program, we're approaching it like it was a glorified 12 week challenge. Yeah. And I was on this podcast yesterday and I said something like, um, cause we're talking about EA and reds and stuff and like it's prevalence with gen pop. And we got onto, you know, like, um, comps came up and whatnot. And it was like, 
you know, people sort of get really obsessed with it as they do more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and it might not be the right obsession for the right reasons. And so I, this, I had this sort of like metaphor analogy where I was like, look, you know, pe- like, like don't do it for, for some, you know, for some ridiculous Facebook profile picture that, that you're going to have on your, <laughs> on your social media for four years, but then yeah. be like embarrassed by later yeah. mm-hmm. and be completely off it. And then like end up looking back and resenting it because you were like, you know, this was going to make me happy. And then you look back and was were like, no, it doesn't actually make me happy. I was externally mm-hmm. defined. Um, you know, if we can have people doing it from a place of intrinsic motivation, yeah. from self-love, if they're self-accepting and, you know, they're able to do so fully aware of the risks associated mm-hmm. and approach it from a mindset of a seasonal athlete, yeah, then we've won because it should enhance the aspects of your life. Mm. You know, like um, we talk about, we've got like the criteria that we talk about for the people who have gone through the um, physique prep accreditation stuff um, before they take on clients. And it's like, we want people to have spent the majority of the last three years in a surplus. We want them to have experience with uh, a fat loss phase with low food focus, mm-hmm. you know, and we want them to be within 10% of strike, uh, you know, striking range of their stage weight before we even start a prep. Yeah, and have high energy availability yeah, too. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. And so that's, that's like not a lot of people <laughs> competing yeah, at the moment, which is pretty crazy. But, um, you know, like you don't want to be learning how to track food <laughs> and like understand training and understand like intrinsic um, cues and internal mm. cues, both yeah. from an exercise perspective and a nutrition perspective whilst you're embarking on a prep. Mm. Yeah. Like those things need to be mastered before you start a prep. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of people coming in, they're like, I want to jump on stage because of this. And it's like, hey, give me two years. Then we'll look at it because we need to establish these foundational behaviors. And once you've established those, then you get the reward of a prep. Then you can be like, I can still go out and be social with my friends. I know how to eat food and what's in food. I can, I can make decisions that this prep helps me appreciate the other aspects of my life rather than dogmatically cut things off and then think in these dichotomous black and white, good and bad things. Mm. Because that like, and that's what we should be like aspiring toward, um, encouraging with it. And unfortunately, you know, like both competitors want to get on there as soon as possible and coaches want to be having as many, excuse me, clients as possible. And so we have this sort of like enabling pattern yeah, and holding pattern that sort of perpetuates those potentially negative experiences mm. that we can avoid. So, so talk about how the comp prep course is going to help fix some of these things. <laughs> so we basically address it all. So we address every aspect of a prep, um, the off season, the prep phase itself, um, like peaking, the recovery diet, and then obviously like pre-prep, what our pre-prep criteria are mm-hmm. from that. And then we look at things from, and this is why it requires so much more study, is that uh, we look at... There's the exercise physiology, there's the exercise programming, there's the nutritional physiology and the nutritional programming. There's a periodization of those two to make sure they're complementary of one another for the athlete. Then we look at the behaviors as well uh, and mindset side of things from there. And then we look at the lifestyle management, um, you know, things like subjective self-rating feedback, uh, you know, that could come up at any given point in time. And like when when you should be implementing certain um, strategies with a client, um, you know, there's always gonna be a digging phase. How can we dig? the most effectively when calories get low do they have to be super super low or can we just go low for a four to six week period and then achieve what we need which then if we look at the average of the prep phase doesn't really throw out the energy availability Mm -hmm. sort of average over that whether it's 20 24 week or 16 week period that they're sort of really going for it um so obviously yeah those like critical thinking aspects are really strong at that point um and so that's why we say hey it's not just a cert we've got to have that additional thing so that way your ability to digest the information and utilize it is a, is a step higher yeah. with that. But um, it basically, and it'll be something that we update every year as well, just like the cert. It's like, as we get more information, then we're going to be adding to this. This is, you know, this is sort of like the sports nutrition Wikipedia of these particular subject matters mm-hmm. where it's like, we're going to be adding to it. It's not a, it's not a perfect final form yeah. and but probably what, won't ever be. What you guys have created so far, because obviously Jack and I to learn more about this course, right? We're mm. actually going through the course ourselves right now. And, uh, I just have to commend you guys on the resources that you have created, you know, Thanks. all of the presentations that, you know, yourself and Brandon and Kyle and Joey, you know, like, and it's all evidence-based and 
from my knowledge, it's the only thing of its kind that exists in the world, right? Like, yeah, there's nothing else like there out there. We've, we've got it. Like, there's a few good books. Like, obviously, Eric's books are good. Lane Norton's got a good book and stuff. And the hard thing is, the moment you go into print literature, it's really hard to explain principles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Whereas, because we can run it in a program capacity, like a course capacity, yeah. where then we're getting like like detailed case studies back, mm-hmm. both theoretical and practical. Yeah. Um, we can then teach principles say here's like when where how and why to apply Mm -hmm. and then give them to them and say right come back to us and we'll give you feedback on that yeah like i really like that like one say if you're reading one of lane's books like if you have questions you can't exactly just dm lane and he'll he'll answer for you but yeah with his like half a million followers (laughs) but like throughout the prep course you get um video feedback i guess yeah and you can ask questions there and you can actually apply your knowledge in uh, three case studies and get assessed on that. So you actually know whether what you've done is correct. And then you can go out into the world and um, try your luck there. So. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And like, you know, I would say like, we want to get it to a point where we, um, you know, like people are like, wow, I need to do these case studies before I even take on a client. Yeah. yeah. Whereas at the moment it's like, I really want to be that prep coach. <laughs> <laughs> and so they want to take on that client. But if we can have people sort of aware of it and then being like, wow, like, I want to sort of have a crack at these things first, make sure I'm hitting all, like ticking all the boxes because a real client is harder than these case studies. Mm. Yeah. You know, case studies are easy in that we can fix information. Yeah. Like we can create context that, you know, we justify. Mm. Whereas yeah. a client is this dynamic, yeah. messy, mm. like, oh my God, I wrote this for you and now everything's changed. So now <laughs> I have to change it. Yeah, Corona's come. yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Corona's come. And so, um, you know, like it'd be great if they knew that, but yeah, like my, Again, we don't want a ton of prep coaches either. Yeah. Like, like I would encourage as many people interested in sports nutrition to do the cert. Mm. And again, that's your like try before you buy. You're not spending a great deal of money. You're not spending a great deal of time. It takes 12 to 17 weeks to do. Um, if you've got a degree and you just want to add this scope in, like we have RPL programs that help recognize, you know, stuff that's in your academic transcript and whatnot. But um, we only want like 10 to 15 prep coaches a year. So that way in like five years, we've got like, all right, we've got between 50 and 70 prep coaches Mm. that we can strongly recommend within the country. Mm. This isn't something that we're like, you know, pinky in the brain and we want to take over the world and have everyone doing it, you know, because we can't quality control it then, Yeah. you know? And so from our end, it's like, it's quality first, ensuring that we have the people with the right values. Exactly. And it it upholds a high reputation for the course as well. But, Mm. you know, going back to what you were talking about before, how, you know, if people like truly know in their heart, they're like, I want to be a prep coach, you know, like I want to do this as my career. I see myself doing this for the next 30 years. Like, don't be disheartened if you have to do a few years of study because it's just like any other profession, right? Mm. Like you don't playing with people's health. Yeah. Jesus. You don't have like an engineer just be like, I want to be an engineer and they just go out and start building bridges. Okay. Like they Mm. have to go through studies. And if you want to be a professional in this career, you know, and actually, you know, uphold yourself to your clientele, you need those credentials too. You need that knowledge. So you have to be patient. You can't rush it. And, Man, this shit is so interesting. Like, I I love learning about this. <laughs> yeah, <it's cool. laughs> Even going through all of your guys' resources, like, it's just so awesome. Yeah, it, it's funny. Hey, and I would say, like, if we look at the timeline as well, if you say you're a career, you want to be a career prep coach, say, and you like, you don't go to uni, or you do go to uni, and like straight away, but then you add the cert pretty early, like, you, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't change this trajectory or mm. timeline anyway. Like, I, okay, cert. So, you've got to work on your business and how to like interact with clients. Mm-hmm. So you want to spend, I would say probably like 12 months, 18 months just with the gen pop before even looking at like prep interactions mm-hmm. anyway. So like you've got your cert, you've been applying it. You, now you're learning more information in some grad program. Um, and then by the time you finish, you've got that level of stuff. You may like once you're in your grad program, we can accept you into the prep program. So then you're learning about the prep program mm-hmm. and then it's, you know, two and a half, three years, whatever it is later, and you've got all the stuff and you've ticked all the boxes, but you've got a full business acumen behind you. You've got the experience interacting with the clients. And so now if you want to take on six clients in a season, which is like what we recommend when it's sort of like that five to seven, um, you know, per person and then having 20 to 30 in the off season at any given time is a really sort of good number. And that like, I sort of covered it before with the subjects, but we do cover a bit of business support within the program as well, because you know, like people, 
like we've made a lot of mistakes. So we want to, we want everyone who comes through to benefit from our mistakes. You know, Kyle was at a point, I know, I remember when we were first talking with him and he was like, I had 200 clients. Now, some of that was like gen pop, but a lot of it was prep. Like Mm. imagine having 200 clients online. Like he, he was only online coaching. Every, every person that shows up at a show is Kyle's client. And, you know, so it's like, and that's burnout. Like you end up resenting Mm. aspects of the industry and the career that you love so much. So if we can help people benefit from our own experience, then we'll do so. So yeah, we recommend sort of like five to seven clients in any particular season actually getting on stage Mm -hmm. and then having, you know, 20 to 30 client off-season team, or maybe less. Like maybe you have like 10 to 15 off-season and then you've got a few gen pop people Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I think it really does come down to quality over quantity, Mm. you know, and if you do, you know, if you take on too much at once, you know, it really does impact the quality of your work and, you know, the amount of time that you can invest in each athlete. And remember, at the end of the day, this isn't about you. It's about the athlete. You know, they're coming to you because they want to be in the best shape of their life. They want to have the best experience. But as a coach, if you've, you know, bitten off more than you can chew and you give them a half-ass service, Mm. you know, that's just not fair on them. Yeah. And you might think you're doing the best thing. Like we can justify to ourselves until the cows come home that it's like, oh, it's better that they're working with me. Mm. You know, like there's all these worst coaches out there or something like that. At the end of the day, you have to just stick to your own values, Mm -hmm. you know, with it and, 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 you know, like not take a million people on yeah. or 200 on yeah. um, and, and look after yourself in a way that you can quality control things. And you might think that you can do more, but a lot of the time, yeah. you know, we overestimate what we can do in, what is it, like six or 12 months or a month, mm-hmm. but we completely underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anthony Robbins likes saying that. I think it's pretty cool. So I, um, you know, like if we sharpen our tools the right way, and we mm-hmm. consistently do so, then over a long period of time, then we can elicit some really yeah. big change. And what I love about this comp prep course, guys, is that, you know, it just, it doesn't just teach you how to be a prep coach, you know, for that 25 weeks with an athlete, right? It actually separates it into all of the phases. So mm. the off season phase, the pre prep phase, the prep phase, the recovery phase, and every single one of those phases is specifically broken down into the behavior, the training, the nutrition, entirely right mm. and again and then the it's all evidence-based you know and it's always being updated and this is where you know uh jack and i are really going to uh come into play is that we've been given this great opportunity to uh apply our dietetics knowledge to this course which i'm just so excited about yeah it'll be so good so mm. when we caught up it was, we, i was like cool um you know, what would you, what would you like to do? What are you passionate about? And then it was immediately like, Hey, there's all this like food health stuff yeah. that yeah, we can be nu- talking about. Nutrition is more than just three numbers, you yeah. know, like going beyond the macros. Or five, or five, <laughs> calories and fiber, right? Oh yes. <laughs> and so there's some really cool, important considerations that we'll be adding to in that. Like when we were, when I was talking about it before and saying, this is going to be a constantly evolving and improving thing. Uh, and organism, this is what I was referring to. So we're going to get this really cool content from you both about that, which would be great. Yeah, we can't wait. And uh, especially for the presentations as well, which... <laughs> we're supposed to be in May. God, jeez. It'll can't... probably be at like, the, I don't know, like last quarter of the year, like September, October, something yeah. like that. It's going to... We're going to have our conference in September yeah. and October as well. It's going to be a busy... Yeah. It's going to be a busy oh end gosh. of the year. Well, at least we have a lot of time to prepare. <laughs> we, like, we might even just do some online stuff or something like that, yeah. just depending on what happens with the country. Mm. But um, yeah, we, uh, no, we, we'll definitely roll out the program this year. Um, and we just want to make sure that obviously those who come on, uh, their values align mm-hmm. and they're, you know, prepared to do the work and really embracing that journey, which would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So guys, we are coming up on an hour now and Alex, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. But before we go, you know, we always ask our guests one question and that is one interesting thing that you learned this weekend. It doesn't have to be related to health or nutrition, but just one thing, what did you learn? So how powerful the subconscious mind is. And so like for, we, we were just talking before about uh, like coming from academic backgrounds, our logical brain is very, very dominant, but that's actually about 10% of our, I guess, uh, like uh, uh, 10% of why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And so the, the 90% is subconscious. And so, uh, the thing that I learned that was really interesting about this is the subconscious brain responds within 0.2 of a millisecond or 0.02 of a millisecond. So we will have like an emotional or a physiological response to something like that, mm. whereas our conscious brain is about 0.6 to 0.7. Mm. 
So there's actually a delay. So there'll be times where we'll be like, this feels weird, but it makes sense. Yeah. But, and, but, and there's this disconnect and that's why that actually happens. What the heck? How do they, how do they just like, <laughs> how do they know these things? Psych, psych studies, I guess. The same way we study nutrition, yeah. So I guess you can apply that to people going out during lockdown. It's it must be their subconscious yeah. and not well, their Well, there's a big brain. delay there if they're able to walk out of the house. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Great. All right. Well, Alex, you know, uh, before we head off, can you just let anyone know, you know, where they can find you if they want to get in contact? How do they do that? Okay. So I have, there's my personal page, which has like heaps of dog stuff and like (laughs) random stuff. Uh, And there's like sports nutrition stuff in there as well um, in between. And that's at Australian Sports Nutritionist on Instagram. And then we have the business page as well, which is just at Sports Nutritionist Australia. And then we've got obviously at Sports Nutrition New Zealand, at Sports Nutrition Asia for those in those respective countries mm-hmm. as well. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Well, yeah, we can link all of those in the show notes below. But uh, yeah, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Alex, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week. And just hang on before they go, they're actually coaches who are now lecturing and presenting with the accreditation program. So I give my strong recommendation for anyone looking to prep to actually hit them up. But when you do, remember that it's two to three years. So like check out their stuff. Um, They've got their information on their site. Um, And anyone looking at prepping, just remember two to three years, get the work in now, understand your body, um, understand those internal and external cues with both nutrition and training. And then um, give yourself every opportunity to really succeed. But these are some of the guys that we would really strongly recommend.